You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Morning. It's uh, good to be back with you. You guys are stuck with me till uh, uh, early, well, late February, early March. I don't know, later. So uh, I'll uh, be with you. Hope you've had a good new year. Um, any Buckeye fans in here? The one I know isn't here, so... That's what I figured nobody cares. So uh, I wanted to recommend another book to you. I may have already done this. If I have, forgive me. I, I can't remember, but it, it's not a fun read. It's a, uh, it's, uh, so if you're sitting to yourself thinking, yeah, Dean just said it's too big. So um, uh, if you're thinking to yourself, you know, what I'd really like to do is read a book that's hard to read. Um, I would recommend this book. It's called The Organized Mind. Thinking Straight in the Age of Information Overload. Uh, the Organized Mind, Thinking Straight in the Age of Information Overload. And the author's name is Levitin, L-E-V-I-T-I-N, um, Levi 10, so to speak. But the, the Organized Mind, it, I can feel the excitement in the room about it. So um, uh, it is a very interesting read and uh, about the way we think and what's happening in our minds. Uh, with the new research they're doing now where they uh, really are able to track what's going on in our brains and so on and so forth. All right, let me pray. And then the notes are a little bit interesting. I want to explain what I've done here and why I've done it. And and then we'll move on in to Mark. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for all that today has in store. Uh, As a good friend of mine uh, used to tell me a long time ago, yesterday's gone, it'll never be here again. And so I know your word reminds us of that as well. And you have allowed each one of us, as we have spoken about many times, to wake up today. Um, whether it was by an alarm clock or because we get up early, you have awoken us. By Psalm 139's truth, you have numbered this day. Um, it is not neutral. It matters. There are, um, for every one of us in this room, there may just be but one moment you have awoken us for today and it will matter to someone's soul. So I pray that you would, uh, to use probably a terrible word, you would haunt us with the responsibility uh, you have awoken us to today. Open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word as we push into Mark. Thank you for the sacrifice of these men to be here, for those who got here early to get things ready, and ask you to bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, On your notes that you have there, the first page is, the last time I was with you was October the 22nd. I rarely do this. In fact, I don't think I ever do this. So as it comes across as um, uh, arrogant, I apologize. Uh, A friend of mine, uh, talked to me or emailed me this week about October 22nd. I never go back and listen to my messages. Um, number one, I don't want to know how bad they are. And, um, and number two, I just don't. And, but I went back to see what I said on October the 22nd. And if you were not with us, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's on the podcast. If you were with us, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it again And um, if you are so inclined, I would encourage you to forward it to somebody. 
I've never asked for that to be done. I don't get royalties or anything like that, much like nobody else is anymore. So I just want to let you know that uh, I don't do that, but I would encourage you if you get the chance to listen to the podcast on October the 22nd, hear it again, and perhaps uh, pass it on. All right, let's go to the book of Mark. If you have your Bibles with you, open them up there and let's press on into this book. Find your way to Mark chapter four. We were there once before and I want to, uh, I want to start there again. So go to Mark chapter four, find your way to, uh, let's, let's go to verse 13. Mark chapter four, verse 13. I'm not going to reread the parable. I'm going to read the description that Jesus gives of the parable. And so when you find your way to Mark chapter 4, verse 13, we'll pick up there. By the way, I was driving in this morning, driving in, it's three-fourths of a mile. And, um, and I was at an intersection. I don't know why I thought of this, but it's kind of funny. And I don't know how many of you guys get up and run in the mornings, apparently none of you. And uh, we were, um, unless you got up early, I know some of you did. And I looked over, and it kind of always scares me in the mornings when it's dark, because people that run, I sometimes don't see them. And there's a guy standing at the intersection waiting on me, and I, had, I did not see him at all. And this is how he was dressed. Black shoes, black pants, a black sweatshirt, and a black face mask thing, where all you could see was his eyes. And I pulled away, and I was like, that is an idiot, or a terrorist, one of the two. I didn't know which one it was, but um, so I just, I was driving down thing. I probably would have just hit him. I don't, but anyways, if you run at night or whatever, wear something reflective. So that was my public service message for the day. Mark chapter four, verse 13, Jesus says to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So the sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, and when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, and then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And, and I told you this once before, but that word for fall away is where we get our word scandal. Um, I think that's interesting. Now go back and read that with that in mind. Those who hear the word but have no root in themselves, they will endure for a while. Then, and by the way, this is usually descriptive of people at the beginning of the year where we are who decide to start pressing into the Lord again or people who have um, miraculous events in their life where they, you know, two weeks into it, they think their lives have been changed forever, which is possibly true. But they have no root in themselves, which is also interesting because... It means even in their young discipleship, they have not discovered who they are in Christ. So a lot of things that have to happen at a soulish level, but they have no root in themselves. They, they hang around for a while. Then when the going gets tough, when there's tribulation or there's persecution, when it shows up in their lives, on account of this new life or the word, then immediately it creates the scandal. And sometimes the scandal wrecks the family. Sometimes the scandal blows up in the church. Sometimes the scandal blows up at work or whatever it is. Interesting choice of words. Verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. 
But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. If you go to your notes, I really wanted to just start this year off with you with what I called a growth reminder. And under number one, letter A, it says the following. I know you can read this. I just want to track along with you. The unchecked life will always choke out a life-producing word. I know you can read that. You don't have to fill in any blanks, but let's talk about that for a minute. Again, repeating it, the unchecked life will always choke out a life-producing word. And then there's a little paragraph there. Let me track through that with you. Um, It's probably grammatically wrong, but um, at this point in the morning, I don't care. But let me read it with you. In the midst of what must be done, and the reason I wrote that is there are things in life that just have to be done. We're learning that as a church as we study the book of James, where James says, do this. There are just things you have to do, and there are things you have to do today. There's really nothing overtly spiritual about it. You have to go to work. You have to get ready. You have to do things. There are things you must do, but in the midst of what must be done, practice the thoughtfulness of what could have been done, might be done, and should be done with an unshakable foundation of life-defining values, clear roles, and challenging goals. Let me just tell you what I'm talking about here. Uh, I do something, some of you have had your students, your, your kids, your students, your kids uh, with me as we have walked with seniors. My wife and I in a group walk with seniors every year and really love it. Dean's had the chance to walk with us with some of these seniors and it's an amazing journey. Some of you know the questions that I ask these seniors and we've done something in our staff that uh, has shown me something about where people are when it comes to the things you must do. And I want to tell you what we've done. And if you lead a group of people, maybe this will help you in some regards. With the seniors to sort of break the ice, um, I'll have every new senior stand up and I'll ask them the following questions. What's your name? And they'll say their name. Where do you go to school? And they'll say where they go to school. And, um, and then I'll say, what's your favorite color? You know, blue, red, pink, whatever. And, and I make them answer every question. Like if they say, oh, I don't know, then we'll stand there and stare at them until they say, okay, black, and whatever. And then I'll say, what's your, uh, what's your favorite subject in school? And uh, most, you'd be surprised how many say math. I, I don't understand that. And then you'll say, what's your least favorite? And it's usually their native tongue, English. And then I say, um, where, um, what's your favorite music? And that's always kind of fun because you realize they're talking to the preacher, okay? And so you can always see this sense about, am I supposed to say Christian music? And um, so I'll always say, you know, I, I'll tell them my favorite music or something like that. And they'll go, whew, okay. And, and they'll tell me their favorite music. I'll say, what's your favorite movie? And most of them, their favorite movies are old movies. It's really kind of funny. They like 80s movies and stuff. And then I'll say, when you graduate from high school, what are your plans? I never say where you're going to go to college. I always say, what are your plans when you leave high school? What do you, what do you want to do? And, and they'll, they'll, you know, tell me what they want to do. And then I have asked this question, what's your dream? What's your dream? And you guys have heard me talk about this a little bit, but I'm going a different direction. And to a man and woman, um, I have yet to have one say, I want to be wealthy. Never heard it. Um, in fact, I would say, Dean, help me out here. I, I would say at least 50% say, I just want to have a good family at least 50%. And, um, uh, and then I, so, and then I, I listen very intently to this issue of what is your dream. I have never had a kid not have one. Never had a kid not have one. Can you remember a kid not have one? And, and, and I remember one kid uh, two years ago, I want to be a mechanic. 
I said, do you mean like mechanical engineer? No, 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 I want to work on cars. Okay, cool. I go, why, so why don't you pursue that? Um, because I've been told that's, um, you can't make a living doing that. Okay, well, show me your dad so I can punch him. So anyways, we, we went on. So here's where I'm going with that. We were sitting um, here in a staff meeting one day. And, and I thought, you know, it was a, kind of an awkward meeting and everybody was sort of shut down. You guys have been in those meetings every week. And, um, and I thought, I'm going to break the ice here a little bit. So I had a few people stand up and I asked them those questions. Now I had to ask them a little differently. You know, what's your name? Everybody knew your name. Where did you go to high school? And like, let me remember. And then I said, when you were in high school, what was your favorite subject? Blah, blah, blah. What's your favorite color? What's your favorite music? When you, when you were in high school, this is where it changes with adults. Now watch where I'm going here because uh, it does matter to what we're talking about here. I said, when you, when you were in high school, what was your ambition when you were there? What were you going to do after you graduate? That's kind of a checkup question because a lot of people, they may have to confess something. And you know, they don't mean to, but they do. And then I say, what's your dream? And, you know, that's a little different when you're, 50, 60 years old. And um, so then I made everybody take out a piece of paper and I made them write down their dream. I said, what do you dream of? Now hang on with me because I know some of you are checking me out because you're like, I don't, what is this stupid? What's that have to do with growing with Jesus? Here's what's interesting. There were probably 75 people in the room of our staff. Only two had a dream of doing something related to full-time vocational ministry. Now walk with me for just a minute on this deal. I've read every one of them a couple of times. I'm, in, I'm inputting them in a file so I can read through them. And I've started having different conversations with, with the people. And, and here's what, what's happening. I, when I ask them, where did this dream come from? What, what, what happened in your life? I find out that at some particular point in our lives, I don't know when it happens, probably in our early 20s, we shut down living soulishly and deep inside of ourselves and start just doing what we think we're supposed to do rather than listening to the bigness of what the Lord might be doing in our lives. And, and so... We, we, we think we're being spiritual because we're just doing, and a long time ago, the Lord might have been birthing something inside of us, and yet we shut it down. See, when I listen to a young girl or a young man stand in the senior group and say, I think I want to be a doctor, and to a person, here's what I've heard him say, Dean, back me up if I'm lying. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I go, why do you want to be a doctor? Here's the answer. I think I want to go live somewhere else and help people medically that just cannot help themselves. Now, listen to what they just told me. They did not tell me they have a dream of being a doctor. They just told me the Lord is birthing in them something to help people. It's something deep inside of them that is resonating to invest in people. And, and something has changed where we, we have made it acceptable to stop being soulish in the way we talk about doing life and we transition just into making a living rather than doing life. And we sit in a men's Bible study because there's got to be more than just what I have become. And so... What I, what I do every year is I write my dreams down. I have a little red book where I write dreams in. 
You say, so you do live in the clouds. No, Uh, this is why I said in the midst of what you have to do. And I lay those before the Lord so that I say, God, what? What are you doing in my heart that I'm not paying attention to because I'm caught up in doing rather than being? And I would ask you, let's just do this. What's your dream? Don't look at me, write it down. What's your dream? What's your dream? You're not going to have to share it with anybody. You're not going to have to confess it. Write down two or three. I marked one of my dreams off my sheet this week. I, I cried. Um, it was stupid. I won't tell you what it was, but um, I was like, and here was why I marked it off. I went, I'm too old to do that. So just being realistic, I was like, I can't do that anymore. So you might need to scratch yours off already. So let's, now you may, where are you going with this spiritually? Where are you going? I wrote it in my notes. The reason behind the dream question, to open up soulish thinking I long ago shut down. When's the last time you sat down with your kids or your grandchildren and said, tell me what you dream about? Tell me what you dream about. The last time you had that conversation, and, and you're pushing against, I can feel some of you pushing against that already this morning because you're like, we don't have time to dream, we have to do. I, I totally get that. I totally get that. There's, there's a do that we must do. But I'm concerned that we're becoming a people that are almost robotic in our lives rather than thinking about what God might do or what God could do. And that doesn't mean you'll have to quit your job, but what is he birthing in you? What is it saying about your soul? And are you at least thinking about that? And are you walking through that? Let me go to number B and, and just work, letter B and work through this. And, and I, I, I would just encourage you, it's a, if you do this with a small group of employees, if you decide to do this, let me, I know maybe a couple of you might if you're leading people. If you do it, you're treading on dangerous territory. And let me, let me just tell you this one more time. Here's the questions I ask. Hey, everybody knows your name. Did, you, did anybody ever know you by a nickname? You know, eh, yeah, they used to call me this. Like I grew up, all the way through high school, I was Pat, never Patrick, which everybody thinks is hilarious because of Saturday Night Live. And then, you know, I'm like, I'm fully male. And so, you know, it just, it's not that funny. Um, and, um, and where'd you go to high school? And, um, you know, like we had one guy in our office, you know, what'd you do out of high school? I've been in the Air Force for, I retired from the Air Force. We were like, what? We know we knew that. And, you know, what'd you, what, what was your favorite subject in school? What was your least favorite subject in school? You'll discover some amazing things. What's your favorite color? And by the way, it, it can't be white. White is the absence of color. Black can be a color. And so, you know, what, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite subject? What's your least favorite subject? What's your favorite music? You know, when you were in high school, what you're thinking about doing when you got out of high school, um, and then, what's your dream? Now, here, here's why I'm telling you you're in dangerous territory. If you actually push them towards that, you are pushing into their souls at work. I'm just telling you that. And you will end up with people knocking on your door, if you allow that. Who will tell you what I've heard for three weeks. I, I am having a problem operating since you've made me think about what's inside of me. 
That's not something that happens at church. This has, this has nothing to do with what they do. It has everything to do with who they are. And if you push into that, what happens when you discover something about an employee that you get a chance to speak life into them and all of a sudden you put them in a new direction? What are you discovering about the soulishness of the people you lead? Even if it's just you and a buddy that are driving down the street and you're going out onto the field, do you even ask each other, what do you dream about? And most of the time, here's the first response you'll get. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then it's up to you to start the conversation and say, well, here's one of my crazy dreams. How about you? And you'll find out what happens. Let her be the growing life, the good soil life that he talks about just very quickly. It is a lifestyle actively preparing to listen, to receive, and to respond. Just a question to you. Are you actively preparing your life to listen to what the Lord is speaking to you? I contend the Lord will probably speak to you more through people's circumstances than the church, than a mysterious voice you've never heard before. Uh, Number two, a lifestyle committed to remaining steadfast throughout the process. Don't have time to stick with that, but if you don't go to Stonegate, start listening to the series we're in now about steadfast through James. And then letter, the third is a lifestyle of servant leadership as defined by giving my life away for the glory of God first, the blessing of others second, and my joy last. Refer to the October 22nd. I do want you to notice something we have been pointing out very quickly about this, this lifestyle that produces fruit. Hold your place in Mark because we're coming back and go to the book of James. I want to show you something we looked at this past Sunday. Jay Mayo just rocked my world with this analogy that I gave Sunday. I want to give it to you. Uh, James chapter 5, James chapter 5, James chapter 5, verse 16. As you're looking it up, listen to these words over you. I wrote this in the margin of my notes. If I am not actively involved at a soulish level with other brothers, I will choke out. If I am not actively involved at a soulish level with other brothers, I will choke out. I submit to you, you cannot be involved at a soulish level if all you do is sit around and talk about your failures. You cannot be involved at a soulish level unless you know what stirs the soul of the man you do life with. Okay, let me say that again. Unless you know what stirs the soul of the men you do life with, then you're not doing life at a soulish level. And, I, and most of us don't know what stirs the soul of the men around us. We don't know what um, makes the, the man next to us emotional. We, we, we know that it's maybe a sporting event. We know what makes us go, whoa, whoa, whoa. But what is it that, that stirs within you deeply? And we don't know that because we... we, we we don't know how to even ask the questions. We're afraid to ask the questions. We've long since been told to stop thinking that way. We've long since been told to stop dreaming. We've long since been told to stop, to, to stop paying attention to what stirs in our gut. And we, so we don't know how to help each other. And we're relegated to accountability groups that talk about looking at boobies and, and wanting possessions. That's, that's what it's been relegated to. Or it's been relegated to talking about our addictions and half the reason we're stuck in addictions is because we're stuck in an unsoulish life. And so for instance, when I, when I sit down with a young man who tells me the dream and he says, I wanna have a family. And then I get the chance to sit down with him and say, tell me where that comes from. You know where that comes from. Nine times out of 10, here's where it comes from. Because I don't have one. 
A lot of times it comes from, it's wonderful to hear. I've heard some of your kids, by the way, say, man, I want to have a family like I have. That's amazing. I want to have a family like I have. But James chapter 5, verse 16, I I want to press you into this real quick, and then we'll move to chapter 5 and call call it a morning. Verse 16, it says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. The confession of sins to each other and the prayer for one another is a, it is a peeling back and exposure of the soul to each other. For some reason, and I don't know how this happened, whether except that we became in the church concerned more about behavior modification and sin management than soulish living. We, we became so afraid of doing things wrong and making sure we do things right that we... Um, we, we, we missed the soul of life. Let me give you an athletic example about that. Um, I'm not going to make a football joke or anything like that, but, th- but this is true about athletics. A lot of times you can be working with an athlete and coaching an athlete, and there's, for some reason they've stagnated. And oftentimes the reason an athlete stagnates is because he's afraid of making a mistake. And so you have to stop him or her and say, just quit worrying about the mistake and be who you are. As I was laughing with my son Chapman last night, we were, I was asking him and my daughter some questions and living in my house, you can only imagine it's a nightmare because all the questions I ask people, I'm asking them and they're like, Chapman's like, dad, I don't have any values, quit asking me and, and all this kind of stuff. And we were joking about some things and he, he said, dad, you know what one of those, the funniest things is that people say from the stands during baseball games? He's a pitcher. And I go, what is that? And he goes, I laugh when I stand on the mound and I hear someone say, throw strikes. He said, um, what, what do you think I'm standing out there going, is that expect, what am I supposed to do? You want me to throw strikes? Oh my goodness, all these years I've been thinking, throw a ball. And I, you know, he's just like, it's so stupid. And, and, and we, so I tell you that because sometimes, you ever been in a ball game and you hear somebody say to their kid, don't strike out. You ever heard that? You ever heard that? Have you ever heard at work, don't screw this up? And we tighten up and we, we are no longer soulish. And when he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for another, that is so much about, here's my struggle. Here's the wall I cannot get over. And then you pray for each other. And the way he concludes this is so that you may be healed. And that carries with it the idea of being able to compete again. And it was Jay Mayo who's run one of those goofy Spartan races who said, um, You know, Patrick, in a Spartan race, there are obstacles you cannot get over alone. They intentionally put an obstacle you cannot get over alone. And you need a brother who's a fellow Spartan who will help you get over the wall. Gentlemen, who are you soulishly doing life with? Who are you soulishly pushing into? Whose dream do you know about? I just, I'm telling you, you've got to get that into your life. Let's go back to Mark chapter five. Let's press on into the rest. I just, a lot of that's review. You probably were, you know, I, don't, I, I hope that that's something that resonates in your soul. Uh, Mark chapter five. So we get into, we keep pressing and, and in Mark chapter five, and I've put it in your notes, we, we begin to see, uh, well, it's not the beginning. It's actually the third time we see Jesus pressing into this demonic oppression and possession. I'm not going to read the whole story, but let me begin in chapter five, verse one. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. 
He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. So this went on over and over and over. Verse six, I'm going to skim a little bit here. So let your eyes go down the page. When Jesus, uh, when he saw Jesus from afar, this is verse six, he fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with him, with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Very interesting in verse eight, this is a battle. This is a this is almost, this is a war going on here. Jesus did not speak and it was over. It's the way it's telling us is this was a battle going on verbally. Verse nine, Jesus said to him, what is your name? Interesting, he engages this, this demonic and he replied, my name is Legion, we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him and said, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And he gave them permission. Another interesting deal. He gave them permission. I'll get to this here in just a minute. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Uh, Interesting, again, Jesus pretty much wrecked someone's uh, economic life. And, and now you get to verse 17 and another interesting thing. The people began to beg Jesus from, to depart from their region. He'd done something amazing. And they said, we need you to leave. So let me take you to your notes again. And let's talk about this spiritual realm. The spiritual realm and its accompanying battle is very real. Some of you know this more than others. I would suggest most of you probably doubt this. And most of you, your idea of the spiritual battle is more based upon what Hollywood has shown you than what is real about the spiritual world. In fact, I I would say that the the picture of the demonic that has actually been given to us, not only by secular culture, but by Christian literature, blinds us to the reality of the spiritual battle. And, And so, let me keep reading this. The spiritual realm and its accompanying battle is very real. Here's the, the point in Mark, as well as the other gospels, is to communicate to us that Jesus is the greater power over the seen and the unseen. Now, let me keep reading. I've given you a paragraph there in, in italics. I've qualified it. It is Peyton's personal interpretive conviction. Okay, that would be me. That part of the purpose Mark has in mind is to teach the audience because he's, he talks about this in chapter one, chapter three, chapter five, chapter six, and chapter nine. That part of the purpose Mark has in mind is to teach the audience the one has come who has the power to change the deeply spiritual and soulish problem we have, that Jesus has come to defeat the unseen that daily defeats each one of us. Now, uh, a bit of a personal testimony Years ago, I I was in a church that spent probably two months studying how we were supposed to fight the demonic. And we were taught how to pray over our washing machines and our cars, and I'm not joking. Like we were, this was popular teaching back in the 70s actually, and maybe even some of the 80s, and even still now today, to, for us to have these conversations. And I remember sitting in my car because somebody who I would call a false teacher now told me to sit in my car, you know, and it wouldn't start. Well, I just need a new battery. And, um, but there was a demon of the battery. Yeah, I know you think, are you serious? Yeah, I am. 
And I would sit in my car and say, in the name of Jesus, I tell you, demon, to get out of this car. Now, I know I'm touching a nerve because some of you have been around this. But the reality is, biblically, you and I are never told to engage demons on our own. Ever. What we are told to do is submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and resist the devil. Uh, let, me, let me show you something. Go to James again. And, and I'm not here just because we have a series here. Go to the book of James and let me show you something. The spiritual battle is definitively real, but there is a warrior who fights it for you. And, and so let me, let me go to uh, James chapter four and, and show you this. And then we'll go over to Ephesians again, which is one of the great warrior chapters and notice something about it. But in, in James chapter four, it says this in verse six, he gives more grace. Therefore it says he opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. Now, when you say, well, Patrick, it tells us to resist. The reason it says resist is because what you're supposed to do is the opposite. You're to move towards God. You move towards the Father. When your children engage fights that they are going to lose, what you want them to do is get under you and let you fight the fight. And what Mark is teaching us is not that you and I run around and start picking fights with the demonic. What he's teaching us is that Jesus has defeated the enemy. He teaches us over and over again. He is reigning over the spiritual realm. And what we can do is take refuge in Christ as he fights that battle. And he wins that. I remember hearing a, um, I'll, I'll put it this way, a heretical Judaizer. Okay, what that means is it was a, um, it was a, he would call himself a Messianic Jew, but he was a heretic, which anyways, I won't even go into that detail years ago. And he said this, he said, I don't understand you Christians talking to demons. He said, why don't you talk to your heavenly father and have him deal with them? I was like, that's, that's actually pretty smart. That kind of makes sense. And so I began to study that some more and all through the scriptures, find your way to Ephesians chapter six. Let me show you Ephesians chapter six. Some of you know this passage. I'll read this and then I'll finish the notes. Paul the apostle, Ephesians chapter six. He will begin in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength or the power of his might. Put on this whole armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil, his, his scheming and his playing. It's, it's a wisdom issue. It's understanding there's an enemy out there operating to deceive you. The way you understand the deception is not by talking to him, but by talking to your king and praying for wisdom. It says in chapter five, or yeah, in chapter five, don't go there, but understand the times and understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he gives you this engagement issue. Man, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Very simply, it is a spiritual battle and it is a soulish battle that takes place. I don't, my problem is not you, your problem is not me. There's a deeper issue. There's a soul issue. There's a spiritual issue. 
So how do he goes into this, how do I fight this? Then take up this whole armor of God. You've read this before. So you can withstand in the evil day, which is every day. And having done everything, you stand firm, you fasten on truth, you put on your identity of being righteous in Christ, you fasten up the shoes. Basically, it says you walk in peace. You put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, you take up the shield of faith again, which is an understanding of who I am in Christ and what he has done. Watch this. With which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. What's interesting is that is a defense against what the enemy fires at me. And that defense is what? My standing in who I am in Christ. The way I battle is I let Jesus fight and I let him fight because he's the one who has won. And finally, it says, take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Going back to chapter five of the book of Mark. Let me just press into what I want you to walk away with here. I do not, I'm hoping you do not have a fear of the demonic. I'm hoping you have a healthy respect of the spiritual battle, which you should, but your confidence is in Christ as the victor over the demonic. He has won the spiritual battle. Let him win this. Personal word and I'll let you go here. This has become very real to me in the last year as I have met and dealt with people who have been oppressively captive. I'll just put it that way. And if you've ever come face to face with that, you've realized there is a real spiritual issue going on here. And my safety in dealing with these issues is not in my ability to perform some priestly function. My safety is in my refuge in Christ and what he can do. And my safety is in walking them through confession to Christ and what Christ can do in them. And your safety is in the victory that Christ has won. The scheme of the enemy oftentimes is for you to believe he has more power than he has. But the one in you, as the scripture says, is great. He that is in you is greater than he that is without you or outside of you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The victory has been won and Mark is gonna tell us over and over and over and over again, Jesus has won this battle, rest in his victory. Let me go to this last paragraph, critical reminder, every day on the job, in the home and with myself, the issues always have a spiritual and soulish aspect to them where the bigger battles are fought. Learn to soulishly listen and lead and you begin to challenge the prevailing paradigm where it must first be challenged. In other words, It's a prayer for wisdom and the critical matters are always soulish issues. It's always a soulish issue. I met with a friend of mine just uh, not too long ago and struggling with some stuff and just a friend deal, wasn't a ministry thing. And man, we were were going all over the place. And finally I stopped and um, I asked him a question. And I said, do you really believe that you have been wired and made to succeed in this. And it was his marriage. And he said, no, I don't. And so all the other stuff we talked about, all the other stuff that we talked about, the fights and this and that and this and that, really didn't matter. 
because he had decided 13 years ago, been in marriage 13 years, he had decided 13 years ago he was never going to be able to be any good or successful at being a husband. That is a soulish issue. And every issue we deal with is a soulish issue. And Mark is pressing into the fact that Jesus changes from the inside out. That's why he gets so frustrated with the disciples, as we'll see later on. He says, you guys, later on he'll say, none of this stuff doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. He's telling them, this is a soulish issue. And for you young guys in here, for you young guys that are just starting families and just starting careers, from somewhat older and older guys, can I please tell you, start growing in the soulishness of your leadership and parenting faster than your talent takes you. Start growing in the soulishness of your leadership and in your parenting rather than your talents and your abilities. The faster you learn that, the greater your joy will be as you press into your careers and you press into your families. Because it's only those of us who are getting older who sit back and go, good grief, what in the world? Why, why wouldn't I be soulish here? And you have to start digging it up again and trying to make, regain it. Let's pray together. We'll come back next week. We'll be in the rest of the book of Mark. We'll get to chapter six and seven and we'll just keep treading through it. Father, thank you for these men. Thank you for their dedication to your word. And... So as we go through this today, every person we come in contact with, as hard as it is and difficult as it is for us to um, realize, no, that's, that's an understatement. It's very difficult. I don't want to believe that it's soulish sometimes when I'm on a, in a discussion just that seems very whimsical or I'm at the um, restaurant or whatever it is, but it's, it's all soulish and we carry with us the light of Christ and and I pray that we would carry that well. I pray we would not fear the unseen, but we would rest in the fact that you have won the battle and that you are our warrior. You are the one who has defeated uh, darkness and you are the one who, who keeps it at bay and, and we can rest and trust you. We do not have to fear uh, the demonic. We do not have to fear evil we can trust you. We can press against it and fight, but we trust you and we let you be our warrior. And I thank you that you have fought this fight and you fight this fight for us. May these men live by the spirit today. Uh, may they walk in the spirit today. And may each one of us, as we will all do, uh, starting with this person up here, probably before any of them, when we become flesh oriented, may we catch ourselves quickly when we um, are becoming self-focused, uh, may we catch ourselves quickly and, and may we quickly turn to the reality that you are using us in the lives of others. And may we glorify you, serve others, and then find our joy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Say so, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks again to the guys who made the coffee and everything. Have a great day.